There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more. ¿Qué tal amigos? Mi nombre es Roman Rojas y Tremenda Vaina es el podcast donde te contamos cuatro historias que desafían la realidad. De las cuatro historias solamente una es mentira. ¿Cuál será? En el último episodio de Tremenda Vaina te contamos de un muchacho en China que vendió una parte de su cuerpo para comprarse un iPad. ¿Será verdad? ¿Será mentira? Suscríbete en iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify o tu plataforma favorita. También nos puedes seguir en Twitter, Instagram o Facebook. What's up, Frank? Hey, Jamie. How you doing? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm just in the middle of my weekly bubble bath. Oh, maybe I should call you back later. Nah, don't worry about it, man. My bathroom is super clean, all right? All right. You clean your whole bathroom, disinfect everything, Jamie? Yeah, dude. And I use Clorox. That's the best thing that ever happened to me, man. Clorox regular bleach with Chloromax disinfects everything. I'm talking my tub, my sink, my toilet. You could even eat off of my toilet. It's so clean. Well, wow. So that means you, you go over your countertops, your floors, faucets, appliances, and your door handles, Jamie? Yeah, I do all that. But, you know, I like to mostly focus on the bathroom. You know, that's my special place. I don't know if you want to share that with the whole podcast world, Jamie. Hey, I'm not ashamed, all right? It's important for me to share with loved ones and the public how they can give the most care to their bathroom using Clorox. Gotcha. You know what I always say, right? Oh, yeah. When it counts, trust Clorox. Took the words right out of my mouth. So, dude, are you going to come over or what? Mm, nah, you know. I'm only in the bathtub for two more hours. Nah, nah, it's all right, man. I'll see you around. That's your loss. Celestinos out loud podcast. Oh! All right, you guys, it is that time here at Latinos Out Loud where we interview someone, insert word here, amazing. And this person falls, does not fall short of that definition. He is the head of human-centered innovation and strategy at Google. Mm. His name is Hector Oilet. Yeah. Did I right? Yes. Perfect. Did I right? Oh, my God. That was fantastic, yeah. Woo! Rachel was really yeah. nice about... Yeah. I am proud. Yes. I'm proud. We're very proud to have First you. First person ever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're very proud to have you, Hector. Welcome to the Latinos Out Loud podcast. We've been corresponding for quite some time, and it's such a really, it, it's, it's great to finally have you on the show. We have many questions for you, but I think first off the bat, now that I've pronounced your last name correctly, pat on the back, um, <laughs> can you tell us about the origin of that name? Yeah, thank you for having me. This is, I'm very excited about this. I'm glad that we finally find time to talk to each other. I'm actually really happy that somebody was able to pronounce my last name. Yeah. <laughs> so, kudos. Go, Rachel. Just won a giant 
A giant Oilet. prize. Remember <laughs> how many times you'd like me to say it? Owilet? Owilet? No? Well, yeah, yeah. You're, you're good. Okay. Now you so sound like French. It's French. Oh, so my French. grandpa, he was French. Oh. And he ran out of friends. Not him, but his family because of the war. Mm. And they landed in uh, Veracruz in Mexico. So when they went to register him, so basically they misspelled his last name. So it's supposed to be Wige in, in French. So it's double L. Mm. So I guess the person registering people was not paying attention and he put L-H. So since then it's been wrongly written. So it's unpronounceable in Spanish or in French. So nobody gets it right. And I just said, oh, we let, because that's how my dad said it and how my grandpa said it, but I think they were both wrong. So <laughs> it's okay. That's, uh, and I always, yeah, people always get it wrong and that's fine. But French, like French speaking people probably pronounce it. So, you know. No, they also get confused. They make this face like, mm. so it's like, yeah. So it's better like, they, because it's not uh, that combination of letters. It's not really part of the word. So it's, yeah, you cannot really pronounce it well. You know, Hector, we Dominicans also have a struggle with our birth certificates and people stuff <laughs> wrong. I just want to let you know we're in the struggle together. Frank, I don't know if you want to add any color to that. We have so oh, many stories Lord. of family members. <laughs> Some of us have two birthdays, not me, but like there's one birthday that like you were born on and then one that somebody in the Dominican Republic put on your birth certificate. And you're like, wait, exactly. what? It's like six months difference. Really two birthdays, two last names. I don't know what happened to you when you when I moved to the U.S. My two last names didn't fit. In the systems of the U.S., they just you, they only have one field for last name, so I had all this identity stolen or thefts according to different systems. It was it's bad. So yeah, and this is totally off topic too. But like I don't, I've never said this out loud. My last name is Strauss. Uh, my mm -hmm. dad is a descendant of Russian Russia. He's Jewish. But when my great great grandfather came through Ellis Island, they were like, oh, your name is too long. The last name was originally Straussovitz. Mm, so there wow. was another Ovitz. Mm. Thank you, actually, Ellis Island person. I know it's kind of <laughs> messed up, but like kind of saved me because now I'm hyphenated. It would have been Straussovitz Muniz. That's a lot. Wow, that's hard, yeah. Well, we, we're going through the struggle together now. Okay, you are the head of human-centered innovation and strategy at the Google. <laughs> Please elaborate on that title. Could you, for maybe I'm the only one that doesn't really get it or understand. Yeah, it. yeah I when I first I read my... it, I thought it, I was like, are you the guy who creates those like robot dogs that you see videos online about that they're just <laughs> doing all these really like, you know, they're, they're like <laughs> walking on all fours, they're jumping on tables. Maybe, you know what I'm wishing after hearing your story is I wish I had my own Ellis Island moment. Somebody take a, like a jab at my title because it's so long and unpronounceable. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did those dogs. Those are cool. But yeah. no, sadly, okay. no. I am very creeped out about those dogs. They look really creepy. Yeah, I feel like there's going to so be, be an army of them in the future. We're gonna <laughs> in the future. Yeah. So I've been there for a while, like, 12 years. Wow. And um, one thing that happened year over year was, like in other industries, when we go about and build something, there's always at the beginning, like everybody gets really excited about what could we build. Like everybody's like, yeah, well, it's going to be awesome. Uh, let's all go for it. So I'm a designer by training. And basically what we do is we imagine. We imagine what could we build, especially that will make sense for people. It's useful for people. 
So we draw it, we write it, we all do it together. Then the engineers come in and then they grab the plan and say, okay, this is cool. And they start building about it. Usually we're really bad about planning what the amount of time and effort it will take to build something. I don't know if you, any of you have built a house or remodeled a house. This happens all the time. Usually the contractor says, yeah, five months. Two years later, you still have your broken bathroom because it's very difficult. We're really bad at species anticipating. So anyway, in all my time at Google, I learned that we always say, we're gonna ship this in one year. Ship means we're gonna release it to the public. And the year comes in and we're really behind. We're really behind in what we actually wanted, the polished product. We release something that is work in progress. It's not too bad. It allows people to use it, but then we usually move to the next thing. And that's part of human nature. It's not just specific to Google or to the tech industry. So I was observing that pattern over and over and I always got frustrated. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I really wanted to ship that beautiful thing that we all wanted because everybody wants to, right? So I changed my title. I changed my role and then my title to try to innovate on the way we do products. So instead of following the traditional process, I'm trying to change the conditions that people have in order to make products. So what, some of them include um, incentives, right? Let's say Franklin and Jamie get incentivized to do certain things. We pay them or we applaud them after they do certain good things, right? Those behaviors allow them to get better at that. So if you translate that in how we do products, we get recognized or awarded by shipping things, but we don't get recognized by the quality of the things. So one of my jobs is to basically point that out and say, hey, 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 we're not doing that well. Remember, we already ship another thing like we used to do. Why don't we do this differently? So I propose different methods, different ideas. And yeah, I become a little bit of a pain in the ass for people because I'm always the guy like, hey, 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 you're doing it wrong. But uh, it's fun. I'm just like poking at people because like I said, at the they all agree that they want to build great things and we all want to, but in the process of doing that, we forget about it. Did that make sense? Of course, to me at least. <laughs> Hector, how did you start your career? With what sparked your mind in terms of getting into computers? Did you start with programming? Did you start opening up computers? What started you? What sparked you at a young age? Did you work at a Radio Shack? You know, yeah. basically <laughs> the important oh, yeah. question. We didn't have Radio Shacks in Mexico. That would be very cool. Uh, it's uh, by pure failure. I wanted to be an artist. So my mom is an artist. So I wanted to be one. And she encouraged me to do so. But then um, a few years in, I realized that I was really terrible compared to my peers. So yeah, my mom was like, yeah, I don't know, man. And my dad saw that too. And my dad said, in addition to that gap, he was like, you're going to die of hunger if you're an artist, which mm. I think a lot of foresight into the future. And he said, you should be an engineer. And I'm like, all right, fine. You know, and uh, I was raised with this very, you have to say what your dad tells you to do. So I did it. And um, after four years, I realized that I was a failure. I was really bad at it. So hmm. I was like really confused because art, I like it, but I was not good at it. Engineers, I sort of like it, but I was not good at it. So I landed in this space in between, which is design or user experience, as we call it. When I studied in my career, this was not a thing. It was not a, a formal uh, practice. So it was difficult, but I realized that I did some things well. 
Like I was able to speak to engineers in the language of the artists and I was able to speak to the artists in the language of the engineers. Mm. So usually those extremes of functions or, or crafts, they don't really understand each other, right? They're one of, one of the extreme things, the other one is boring and the other one thinks that the other one is just too focused or whatever. So I'm able to speak the, both languages really well. So that's how I started my career. I started to, after doing uh, finishing engineering, I did some fine arts too. I started doing a master's in, in interaction design, which in basically they teach all these different people, artists, writers, lawyers, engineers, architects, to solve a problem together to fulfill a brief. So say the brief is let's make video confidence better. So you come in with a bunch of people that you don't know, you get to know them, you put a process to say, hey, what if we do this and that, you prototype it and you present it to the client or to the sponsor and they give you feedback and so on. So that's how it started. And um, I realized that I really like it and I really enjoy it. I really like bridging between people, between languages, between uh, functions, between points of view. So that's where I am. I'm actually think of myself as the person in the middle translating what one party might want and yeah hmm. that sounds like do you, do you have to be like you know you have to have people skills right but was that something that you've always had or is it something that you had to grow to learn to to kind of communicate you know more efficiently no i think i always had that i think that uh uh my mom beyond being an artist she's also a people person so she taught me well about paying attention into people's gestures in the things that is more important to know the things that are not said than the things that are said, to pay attention to the dynamics of how people lean in. And I get a lot of energy being around with people. So this pandemic has been horrible, right? Because I'm just here in front of a computer. Um, they're not really people. They're like shiny surfaces, but I miss being around people. So this has been really hard on me that I miss a lot of working with people. Mm. You kind of alluded to your family a few moments ago, your father, your mother, and I, I have to bring this up, but the op-ed piece that you wrote, um, contrary to popular belief, I just would like to read the first two sentences of the piece, if I may. And then Hector, if you can please talk to us about where this piece came from, what it did to you after writing it and just the inspiration, uh, the motivation uh, behind it. Um, okay, guys, this is how it opens. I can't count the number of times I've been called a lazy Mexican. It never stops hurting, but it stings when it comes from another Mexican, especially your father. Yeah, still stings. <laughs> so... This piece came as a, a several years of introspection and looking, trying, I've always been very curious about how things work. And one of those things includes my mind or myself. So I always question like, why do I do things in a certain way? And uh, it came down to this understanding that there's certain beliefs, core beliefs that I call in the article that are really ingrained in me. And I didn't have a choice because I was too young. I was raised with those beliefs. And they were compelling me to do things that were just not good for me. 
And it was difficult. Right now, it sounds very simple. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. But it was very difficult to pinpoint that this was a problem. Uh, things such as I always overwork. I don't know. Uh, since very young, I was raised through a Catholic. My parents are Catholic. I, after um, my first communion, I decided I hated Catholicism or any religion. So I'm agnostic now, but um, before I was raised in that. But there's like this belief that uh, you have to always be working. And working is good. And not working is bad. And basically they raise you with that, right? So when I was a kid, my dad was always me asking me to do things for him, like clean the shoes or the closet or whatever he thought. In his head, he was doing the right thing for me. He was telling me, be busy because busy is uh, working and working is good in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. And uh, when I pushed that several decades later, I didn't, I missed the opportunity of enjoying the not working or the being idle or the being uh, still. And I realized, and there was a lot of contradictions in me because I was like, for example, having a shower and then boom, this great idea came in and I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. But this idea came when I was not working or when I, or when I was walking uh, around in the park. So it didn't really fit in my mental model. Like I'm having good ideas, but I'm not working. What's going on here? Hmm. I also realized that the more I work, the less good ideas I had. So usually these ideas came through with my breaks, in the weekends. So there was something that didn't compute. So it took me a visit to the hospital, I mean, really bad of overwork to realize that I was doing something really wrong. And after reading a bunch of books, meditation, yoga, many other things, I realized that uh, there's an equal amount of value in doing than in not doing. And that was for me was like, wow, it's generally like a moment of what? Like an aha moment, right? And then, cause I was like completely in shock because I was raised as if you don't do things, you're bad. And nowadays the space that when I'm not actively doing, I use it to recharge, to step back, to question, to make dot, connection dots. And that's value, that's impact. And now I can see I'm much, much better, much more efficient, much more focused. And I have, some people call it, I'm working more smart and less hard. Doesn't mean that I don't work, right? I work hard. But if you look at my calendar, I have very specific times of the day and throughout the week that say do not schedule. And that's the time that I just don't do anything. I just sit down and think. And before, when I, before I fully realized this, I felt guilty. I felt really guilty about not doing. I felt guilty and that was hard because then actually it just, I went back and do some busy stuff. Nowadays, I feel proud. I feel proud of not doing because not doing is, it's not that suddenly the aha moment comes, but I know it will come. I know it's as important as doing. So just like that, I discover five more toxic beliefs, which I call them, which were mostly made by the way I was raised. And now I'm able to identify them and stop myself. And before I act, I stop and correct myself and continue. And I noticed that currently, if you have to, if you ask me, Hector, how you doing? I feel like I'm great. Because most of the time I feel like I'm being paid 
to do something that I'm very good at. So it just feels like I'm getting better at what I'm good at and they pay me on top of it. So it's a great feeling, right? So, uh, so yeah, that's been a, a difficult journey. And I wanted to tell that story because I see my cousins and I see myself doing it to my own daughter. So I'm like, oh my God. So this is very <laughs> unconscious, right? So I'm hoping that more people can cut themselves a few decades and realize that earlier. I'm also not too smart. So that took me decades to realize, <laughs> but hopefully this will take less time for, less, for more people. Can wow. I ask a question based on that? So, mm -hmm. okay, well, it's a two-parter, sorry. So when you put that stop sign up to do nothing, you mm -hmm. know, where you come up with these ideas, like how do you put that stop sign up? Do you put your phone to the side? Mm -hmm. Do you tell your family, don't freaking call me on Saturday from 10 to three. Like, well, but how, what's the, what are those tactics? Mm -hmm. And the other the part, the second part of the question is, when you are ex going through that downtime or whatever you want to call it, that do not disturb time, how in the heck do you block off those ideas that pertain to work? How do you stop that train? Because I find that very challenging. Yes. I would love to learn that's, some more from you about that. That's very challenging. So let me address the first part of the question. It's, I don't think there is a solution. There's multiple tactics and I always change them and, and tweak them. One of them is simple that I have a post-it in front of me that says stop. And just looking at that reminds me that I need to stop. I have blocked, uh, like I said earlier, I have like half an hour or an hour blocks throughout, throughout different days that said do not disturb and people don't, or if they book something on top of that, I just don't show up. Then I try to go away. So I go for a walk or try to go to a different corner in my house and don't bring any electronics. And another thing, I've been very public about it. So I tell people, hey, I'm trying not to do things. I'm trying to step back. So please don't ping, please don't bother. And some people follow it, some people don't. Uh, but at least I think I found, before I was more like, when I was at the very beginning, I felt a little more ashamed. So I kind of did it in, in the, kind of like behind, you know, the, underneath the table. <laughs> but no, I've noticed that the more open I am, because also I, I have large teams and I think they, they, know, they find it useful that certain uh, leaders in the organization do that openly so they can also do it. The second part of your question is really difficult and it's something that um, I don't think I'm really good at, but I think after several years of practicing meditation has helped. It's as simple as your mind will always be thinking. That's its job. So you can, thinking that you cannot think is a bad strategy because it will never work. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's just, you will always lose. So it's more about acknowledge that your mind is thinking and just let it think. But don't engage in the thoughts. Just let them bubble, just like the sparkling water. You know, when you put it and you see the bubbles, you just... You are observing a, a glass full of sparkling water. You don't go into the bubbles, you just see them up, up, up. And eventually you're able to have the view of your mind that you just see your thoughts. You don't engage with the thoughts, you just see them. And that's enough space that when you engage into a thought, then you have more clarity. So that's how I see it. Another metaphor that I use is that back in the days when we, can, when we could travel, 
when you land there and you're waiting for your luggage, you're looking at the conveyor belt, like moving, you know, and you see one bag and then you see people like fighting for the bag because they look always the same black bag everybody has. Black bag, I mean. Exactly, yeah. the, the same black bag. Why do you have other colors? Anyway, so you're there and in my mind, um, the conveyor belt is your mind and the baggages are your thoughts. Wow. So you just see them running, going around. Don't open them, don't open the bag. It's not yours. It looks like yours, but it's not yours. Don't open the bag. Just let them see. And if you're focused on that conveyor belt, that helps. So, yeah. Hector, being a man of vision and having that mind with everything that's happened right now with the pandemic, homeschooling, having Zooms like we're having right now, what do you see like 15 years from now? How are we going to mesh with this technology? What do you foresee? Hoping that there's an article that I just published that I'll send it your way, but it's all around human warmth. And it's a very provocative because I, I tried to explain that technology should be bland and boring because it's ultimately people who bring the warmth. And I'm hoping if we do things right, technology will go away. We don't see it. We don't see these mics or these cameras or these lightings. They are like in the background. So we can just focus on each other Mm. We just, it's like, imagine you and I meet in the corner and we just have a chat. And then whenever we need something from technology, it shows up when we need it, but without, when we don't need it, it goes away. Mm. We don't need to be carrying these uh, mini computers in our pockets. We don't need to be worried about yet another dongle to make this thing plug with the other. Mm. We don't need to worry about fixing your uncle's printer. You know, these things that if we do things right, I think it will disappear and will allow us just to be more present. Um, our listeners, you know, when they found out someone from Google was, was coming on, um, some of them were just curious about, you know, Google itself working for Google. Um, so I guess just a simple question would be, what are some of the perks for working for, for a big, you know, well-known company like Google? Hmm. Are there any like interesting perks that you get? I feel like the biggest one is sharing space with brilliant people that they just want to do the right thing. Mm. I think it's just, there's so much inspiration and motivation and challenge in that, that you just share before you share a room or a whiteboard and now a screen, but you share time and space with people that are really good at what they do. Mm. So I think that's the biggest perk. Mm. There's also free food and stuff. <laughs> that is amazing we have the luxury of performing at a google space yes. in New York city we were part of the new york international latino film festival they had a partnership with google um and we closed that portion of programming at what was a beautiful space i feel like as soon as you walked in like you heard innovation like the birds mm -hmm. swirling among the angels being sung. This is innovation everywhere. We as podcasters, we nerded out. We were like, <laughs> oh my God, like we're gonna use this footage for everything. Yeah. Take some pictures of us. It's beautiful. <laughs> the background, the lighting. Um, but you know, that was that was a real great perk for us. Just humble brag. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I want to, one more thing, if, if we can just like sort of bring this back to layman's terms and the consumer and our listener, are there any like one or two consumer facing products that you're like super duper proud of 
that you led the charge on that like we would know as dummies? <laughs> I think there's, um, yeah, of course, there's several. One is uh, search. I used to lead the design team for search, for Google search. So whenever you type something in the search box. Wow. And uh, it's a highly, it's very complex, but what I found, what I'm proud of, it's, it finds some, it helps people find what they're looking for. And doesn't matter what language, uh, what, um, what domain, what topic. So a lot of people use it to find a cure for their diseases or to get a little more confidence on whatever they're experiencing or find an inspirational image. And it's very difficult because it's, everybody is different. And there's a lot of information out there. So I think that the team did an amazing job trying to understand the intention behind someone. So when you type a letter in the keyboard, there's so much behind it, right? Because usually we're very bad at communicating as a species. So we, and also we don't really communicate each other with keywords. We, we speak more and we move our hands and stuff. But there's something behind what we type, which is our intention. So we try really hard to understand people's intentions to deliver what they're looking for, no matter if they're unable to type that. Mm. So that's one. And the other product I'm really proud of is the, the Google Assistant, which is something that I also was leading that design team. And one of the things that nowadays I see very often is how it enables and gives access to technology to new type of people, like my daughter. Like she turned on off the lights, she set up the music, she asks questions, and she's able to interact with a machine that previously was just for privileged people like us, that we learned from it, we were taught to it. And uh, that ability of bringing technology to new people, access to technology, that also gives me a lot of joy. So those two, I think, are like really, really good, important examples. That is so cool. Google search is so important in our lives. Oh my goodness. I Google search my image, I think three times a week. And that's something that I wanted to bring up if that's uh, not too much to ask for. I don't like the images coming up. They're old. I don't look like that anymore. Is there somebody I could talk to to like just perish these pictures of me that are very like gordita, different hair color, <laughs> with like some stages. And I'm like, why did I dye my hair red? Um, yeah, if Rachel, if Rachel was working on the Google search team, she, her, she would make sure that every time you, you, you uh, searched Rachel, her name would come out first. Yes! And, and <laughs> there's so many things we could talk about. Google is such a, like, talk about core belief. It's, it's core in our life, um, in our lives. Um, and whoever does, like, the images on the Google search, were you part of that team, too, or leading the charge? with yeah, how the Little doodles? Yeah! I wasn't. I was my peer, and they have an amazing team that they're always trying to celebrate like something unique about our culture. So I always find them fascinating. We call them doodles, Google doodles. Doodles. Oh, I love the Hispanic Heritage Month doodles. I'm obsessed mm -hmm. a little. Mm -hmm. I may get a tattoo of one of them. Um, <laughs> but I'll need permission from your peer. Uh, you guys, please, one time for Hector Oilet. What an amazing, amazing cluster of information. Uh, that was really fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you so Hector. much for your time. Thanks, Hector. Thank you. It was Thank fun. You. Hector, do you want people to follow you on social media? Because you could drop your handles or you could just. Sure. Not. No, yeah. I, I'm actually not very good at it. The only one I use is LinkedIn. 
All right, so people can find you on LinkedIn. But people, don't go asking for jobs, okay? <laughs> Just admire the resume because it's extensive and you can probably learn something, but don't hit them up for jobs and stuff. I mean, unless you're okay with that, Hector, but I don't think you do. Yeah, I think everybody deserves to be heard. And, and uh, the reason I'm not good in social media is like, First, there's a toxic core belief that I'm ashamed of what I'm, not ashamed, but I'm a little bit like not self-confident in who I am. But secondly, and this is most important, is I don't have time. I decided to use that time to not do things. So instead of refreshing my feed or opening the app, I try to not do anything. And it's been very refreshing. I find out that I haven't missed a thing. That's what I'm telling. Maybe I have, <laughs> but I, I, mean, I haven't missed a thing. So it feels actually, I, re, I remove some wet, heavy lifting in my shoulders. I mean, I'm looking forward to a future. Uh, but do you ever, do you ever um, see yourself like writing uh, a book? I know you did the article, but just kind of, it, it sounds like you have a lot of wisdom, even more wisdom to, to impart to people. So I could see you totally writing a book. Have you ever thought of something like that? And you're incredibly articulate. Thank you. I would love that. Yeah. I think it's one of my dreams. I think that uh, I need a lot of, uh, I still learn. There's a lot of people in my group that teach me how to be more precise and how not to go wandering around in my mind. But uh, yeah, I would love that. Write it and then we'll come in here. We'll pimp it out. We'll read it. <laughs> you know, nice. we'll read it in my book club. I, I, it's only I'm only the only one in my book club. Everybody keeps um, Sounds very not exclusive. accepting my invites to it. But yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> Hector, thank you so much. Thank Probably you. Yeah, thank you for your time. I had a lot of fun. There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota. Toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more.